Well, good morning. I um, will tell you just uh, briefly, my name is Jeremy Wallace, and I serve as the registrar currently at Hannibal LaGrange University up the road, and um, I have had the privilege of being friends with uh, your pastor, Brian, for um, a, a number of years. I won't tell you how many, because um, I I'm, am reminded every day that I'm getting older and older and older. Um, and, you know, my body just starts to fall apart, and first it was my knees, and then it was my back, and now it's my neck, and, you know, just, you, it, you, I, I'm, I'm realizing why my parents, um, you know, talked about getting old when I was little now, so. Um, but today, I would, I would like to um, speak to you from a very uh, well-known passage of Scripture. If you would uh, go ahead and turn your Bibles, we're not going to read it immediately. I'm going to I'm going to talk just a brief moment before we read. But if you want to find it in your Bibles, it's Matthew chapter 28. Um, and in honor of uh, me coming down here to another Southern Baptist church from one of your Missouri Baptist institutions, um, and as a member of another Southern Baptist church uh, up in Hannibal, uh, I, and in honor of the Southern Baptist Convention happening this week where tens of thousands or so are gathering in Nashville um, to, to pray and to set the agenda for, for us, um, over the next year, um, I wanted to speak to something that is near and dear to the hearts of Baptists, and that is the great commission that Jesus has left us with. Now, before you say, well, Jeremy, we know all about the great commission. You know, we're trying to live it. You know, we're trying to do those things. Um, so we don't need another message about the great commission. And, and I realize that many of you will be familiar with this passage. Most of you can probably even quote it to me. But I was reminded as I thought about this passage of scripture of a story that I heard years ago about two, and now I mean no offense, so don't take any in this story, but there were two elderly women uh, driving in a very large car. And uh, one of them could just barely see over the dashboard. And as she was driving down the road, you know, she's, she's uh, barely, you know, a couple inches above her, uh, above her dashboard. And they came to, they started coming up to an intersection and the light was red, but um, they just kept right on going through that first intersection. And one of the, uh, the lady in the passenger seat thought to herself, why, I must be losing it. I could have swore that that light was red. After a few more minutes, they came to another intersection, driving down, barreling down the, uh, the way there, and uh, again, it was red, but they just went right on through that intersection, and Betty kind of thought to herself, now I know that that light was red, and pretty soon they came to another intersection, the third intersection, and, uh, and this time she looked up and she definitely saw that the light was red, and she turned and said, Mildred! Do you know that we just ran through three red lights? You could have killed us. And Mildred turned to her friend and she said, Oh, am I driving? <laughs> and as I thought about that story, it reminded me that we have to know where we're going and what we're doing to end up getting there. You know, if we're like this lady who... I didn't even realize she was driving, you, we're not going to get to the place where we need to be as Christ's church in his kingdom. We're not going to be sharing the gospel, proclaiming his name, worshiping him, making sure the nations get to hear of the, the message of the gospel that he has given us as his people to, to declare to the world, to declare to our neighborhoods, to declare to each other here in this church. 
And so I am going to go ahead and speak about the Great Commission. And I would just ask if you all will stand um, in honor of reading God's Word. We're going to read Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 uh, through 20, the end of the, the passage there. It says, The eleven disciples traveled to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped, but some doubted. Jesus came near and said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word here. Some of the last words your son spoke before he came back to sit at your right hand. And we pray, Jesus, this morning that you would once again stir our hearts and remind us of this mission that you have left us with to make disciples of all the nations. And, and I pray that you would help us to realize how you want us to go about that task. I pray that you would encourage us and equip us to do the work that you have called us here and this church here in the middle of Vandalia to go and do. And we just pray that you would speak to us this morning. And it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We just sang three songs um, that get right to the heart of the first point of my message. And so I'm encouraged. You know, uh, no one here knew what I was coming to preach on this morning. And yet still, the, the songs that were chosen uh, relate directly. You know, we sing crown him with many crowns. The, the, the crown of this and the crown of this and the crown of this because he is the king of our world. We sing the lion and the lamb. You know, the, the lion that, that is roaring, that is in power, that is, that is in charge. And yet also the lamb who laid down his life on our behalf. And we sing that he he is, that there's nothing greater than him. We sang all three of those songs just now, uh, and they all hit at the first point, which is that we need to recognize the master that is in this passage. The master. Look at what Jesus uh, says here in, in these opening verses. It says, the 11 disciples travel to Galilee. Remember, Jesus had said, you know, go here and meet me here. Uh, they've come. They, they saw him, and in verse 17 it says, they saw him, and they, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And I have always been struck by those two phrases. They saw him and, and worshipped him, but some doubted. You know, think of what these 11 disciples remaining would have just witnessed over the last two or three years of Jesus' public life in ministry. These are the people who know Jesus the best of anyone on the planet at the time. They have just literally walked with him and, and traveled with him and gone from village to village with him. They have seen the things that Jesus has been doing. They, they watched as, uh, as, as the, the men cut off the roof and lowered a man and Jesus says, take up your mat and walk. They watched as Jesus went uh, into the, the upper room of a little house and, and took a little girl who had died and said, get up. It's, it, it come back to life. They watched as Jesus traveled to his friend Lazarus who had died and been buried in the ground for, for, for several days. Enough so that, that the, the Bible says he began to stink. Uh, and yet Jesus says, Lazarus, 
get up and walk, get up and, and come out. They watched as Jesus walked across the water. They watched as Jesus healed the blind, healed the sick, uh, created food out of nothing. They watched as Jesus, most importantly, went to the cross on a Friday, died, and was buried. And three days later, he was alive again in their midst. These people are the ones who had experienced all of those things. And yet it says that after this period of time, after Jesus' resurrection, a, a few days, weeks have passed at this point, and they are there, surrounded uh, there at the Sea of Galilee, and they come to Jesus. He comes to them, and it says they saw him, and they worshipped him. They know who Jesus is. They know that he is the God with all authority. And yet it says, but some doubted. And I can't help but think that even the closest followers of Jesus struggle every now and then. These men certainly struggled. Most of these men ultimately end up, ended up giving their life in following and serving Christ. And I can't help but think that there are some people who are here today who you have seen Jesus' work in your life. You have seen the power of God here in this church and other places that you have been. And you come today and you sit here and you see Jesus and you worship him. And yet, there's just something in your life that, that is stopping you from giving everything to him. There's a little bit of doubt that prevents you from, from being completely sold out, from, from abandoning everything that this life has to offer and saying, God, whatever it is you want from me, whether it's staying here, whether it's going somewhere else, God, I am completely yielded to you. You are the master. You have all authority. And here is my life, Lord. Take it and use it as you will. Jesus is the master, and that is the first thing that we must recognize and remember this morning as we discuss the Great Commission. This is not just some suggestion from some spiritual guru, some pastor that's here and gone and 20 or 30 or 40 years later. This is coming from the King of Kings. The, the lion of Judah, the lamb that was slain. This is the one who we have crowned with many crowns. The one who has the authority to heal the sick, to raise the dead, to walk on the water. And who has commanded everything that exists today to continue to exist. He holds the world up by the power of his might. And so let's remember the master who gives us this commission. The second thing this morning that I want to remind us of is the mandate that Jesus has given us. So we have the master who's given us this, and next, the mandate that we have been given. Now, our English translations of this um, are, they're, they're good, but they're not perfect. And there's, there's actually only one imperative command and one imperative verb in these set of verses, uh, and it's not the one that most people think of when they think of the Great Commission. You know, oftentimes we think of the Great Commission, it's talking about going, you know, go be missionaries, go do these things. But that is actually not the imperative verb that is here in these verses. The imperative verb that we read in verse 19 is actually make disciples. Now we're going to come back to go here in just a little bit. But what we are told to do in these verses is to make disciples. And that's crucial for the church to understand. It's crucial for Southern Baptists across the United States, here in this church, up where I am from, around the world, that we know that our job that Jesus has left us with is to make disciples. That involves more than simply 
walking down an aisle, baptizing someone, and then them going to church every once in a while for the rest of their life. Making disciples involves the total transformation of a person's life where, where they get to that point, as I just spoke about, where they can say, God, I am wholly yours. I am completely yours. Where, whether you call me to stay here and work in this job you have placed me in, whether you call me to go across the, 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 the world to Asia or Africa or, or some other place, whether you call me to move 30 minutes away or an hour away or, or abandon uh, this place that I've called my home forever, whatever it is, Lord, that you would have of me, I am going to listen to you. I am going to be your disciple. Uh, remember, Jesus um, said in, in, uh, in Luke chapter 9 that, that, that if you want to follow me, then you must take up your cross daily. You must take up your cross daily to follow me. That means take up that thing that is the instrument of your death. Take up that thing that is the cruel torture instrument. Deny yourself and follow him. There really is only one way that we can fulfill this command that we've been given, um, this mandate to make disciples. And that is living our life entirely for Christ, uh, where there is nothing in our life that we would say no, Lord, to. In fact, that, that very phrase should have no parts in a believer's vocabulary. No, Lord, is a complete oxymoron. It makes no sense. Those two words don't go together. If we recognize that Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth, we recognize that he is the master. What we see is that we must live our lives completely and solely for him. And then we teach others to do the same. That's what it means to make disciples, to live our lives completely and solely for the cause of Christ and to teach others to do the same. And this involves time, 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 and more time. That's what it means to make disciples. It means spend your life investing in the next generation is, is one way. You take the kids of the church, you teach them what it means to be a man of God, a woman of God, what it means to have faith in difficult times and, and trying times when you know you, you all as a, as, a, as a body have just experienced a terrible accident in and, um, and, and this young lady's life. Teach them what it means to have faith even when times are difficult. Let them walk beside you. Let them see your ups. Let them see your downs. Let them see what it looks like for a godly Christian man and a godly Christian woman to live their life dedicated to the cause of Christ, serving him no matter what comes their way, time, time, and more time. I'm reminded of another story. Um, this time it, it is uh, a story of uh, a, a person who is from uh, a, a country in Africa. And he was from a warrior tribe, you know, the, 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 the kind of tribal society that they had there. And, uh, and he was one of the warriors. The, they would often, you know, uh, ne never major battles uh, in today's standards, but minor little skirmishes, minor little battles with, with neighboring villages, neighboring tribes. And he was one of his tribe's warriors, one of their best warriors. And one day he was out, they were walking, patrolling some kind, and he happened to run across a missionary who was there. And this missionary shared the gospel with this person uh, who, 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 who was, was not at all interested in following Christ at first. But as this missionary shared of the love of Christ and the, the death of Christ on behalf of, of, of yours and mine and, and, and this world's sin, uh, how Jesus died and he rose again and he offers salvation 
for those who would repent of their sin and trust in Christ and, and, and begin to follow him and how they live their life. This warrior uh, immediately. Now, it doesn't all, always happen like this. But sometimes there are those who hear the gospel and immediately respond. He immediately realized that this is what he needed in his life. There are some who go, you know, days and years and, uh, you know, and, and multiple years before they, they realize the truth of the gospel. But that wasn't the case for this guy. He immediately realized that he needed to repent of his sins and trust in Christ. And not only that, not only did he do that, but he, he realized what, what this message that the missionary just shared, uh, just shared with him and how it impacted his friends and his family and his village. He immediately was called to the gospel ministry. And he said, if I have learned these things, and if, and if Jesus can save me of my sins, then I need to tell my village. And he turned around on the road and headed straight back to his village. As he got into his village, he called the elders, he called the, the, the tribe together, the people came, and, and he began to share the story that this missionary had just told him. He told them of how uh, the God had sent his son into this world. He had come, he lived a perfect life, he, he had died on a cross, he had been raised from the dead, and he offers forgiveness of sin to any who would trust in him and repent of their sin and follow Jesus. And, and, and the people just kind of went crazy. They grabbed this man and they, 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 they pulled him outside the village and they began to beat him. The other warriors there began to beat him. They began to punch him. They began to throw rocks and stones and sticks and, and all of that. And they left him for dead laying there outside their village. By God's grace, that wasn't the end of his life. He eventually came to um, and managed to crawl his way um, and uh, and take care of his injuries, drink some water. And his immediate thought was, I must have explained it wrong. I must have, I, I must have messed up this message because I, I've just heard this message. I, I must have said something incorrectly uh, because this is the message that my people need. And so he began to go over what the missionary told him in his head one more time. He, 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 he remembered the gospel that, that he had been shared. And he said, I, I, I've got to go back. So he went back to this village who had just beaten him and left him for dead. And as he, as he walked into the village, as he barely began to talk about how God had sent his son into the world, the people grabbed him. And once again, they drug him outside the village and they gave him a near-death beating once again. They beat him and they left him for dead the second time. And as he woke up by God's grace again that second time, he said, I don't know what I'm doing wrong. God, why are my people not listening? God, why are they not accepting this message that you have brought to me that I have accepted? God, would you, would you please help me to, to say the right words, to do the right thing so that my people can believe in you, my people can trust in you? And so we went back a third time. And this time, as they saw him coming into the village, they formed their little mob and they grabbed him and they began to carry him out to the village. But this time he said, I, I, he shared as he was being drug away, he told them the gospel that, that God had sent a son, that he died on the cross, that he, that he rose from the dead. And if they will just believe in him and trust in him, that he will forgive them and they can have eternal life. And as the people began to beat him, he began to lose consciousness. And the last thing he said he remembered as this happened was he looked up and he saw the tears starting to fall down the women's eyes. These women who had taken care of him 
as a young child, who had nurtured him, uh, who, who had been really part of his extended family for all of his life. He said at the third beating, the people, the women begin to weep. And this time, as he came to, he wasn't outside the village lying there for dead. He was laying on a bed there in the village. There were people tending to his wounds, trying to help him recover. And the people came to him and they said, if you were willing to go through these three beatings, then there must be something to this message that that you have received. And so we want you to explain it to us one more time. And he once again shared the message of the gospel with him. And that time, nearly the entire tribe chose to repent of their sin and trust in Christ and begin to live their life for him. Now imagine what would have happened had this warrior gone and the first time he was beaten said, it's too bad. They, they obviously don't want this. I'm going to go over here and, and talk to these other people. Imagine had he gone the second time and again they, they beat him and they left him for dead and he said, you know what, I'm out. You know, once was okay, twice, that's too much. But he went back a third time and suffered the beating and humiliation once again And yet that time, God worked a miracle. He changed the life of that entire community and people came to know Christ. That is what it means to make disciples. To invest our lives and continue to share the gospel even in difficult situations, even when it seems like people will never trust in Christ. Even that person that you've shared with five times, ten times, twenty times, over a period of months or weeks or months or years. And it looks as if there is no hope that they would ever turn from their sins and trust in Christ. And you continue to be faithful to to this mandate that we have been given to bring the gospel, to make disciples, to teach people about who God is, and to live your lives faithfully in front of them so that they can see what it looks like to be a Christian. That is what it means to make disciples. To do that yourself and to teach others to do the same thing. And that leads us then to the next part of these verses. So we see the master who has all authority, the mandate to make disciples, but he has also given us the method that we need to use to reach this world for Christ. Praise the Lord that we don't have to come up with our own strategy and our own way of doing everything that we've been commanded by God to do. He's given us the way in which to do it. He's given us the method. Uh, Jesus did not simply give us this nearly impossible task to make disciples of, of all the nations, of all the peoples of the world, but he gave us the method of doing it, and that is going and baptizing and teaching. I said we'd come back to that word go in verse 19. The better way to translate this verse um, from the original languages would be something like this. As you are going, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded you. Now, I'm not going to give an English lesson or certainly a Greek lesson, um, but you, you notice how I read that verse slightly differently than we have been used to. 
Remember the one imperative verb to make disciples. The rest of the other three verbs, they're, they're present participles. They're the ing type verbs, the going, baptizing, and teaching. Those are active present participles. And what that means is, that's fancy words for, it's something that you do and you repeat and you repeat and you keep on and keep on and keep on doing it. Going and baptizing and teaching. That's the method that Jesus has given us to win this world, to share the gospel to all nations, to, to make sure that there's not a person, uh, if it is at all in our power to make it so, that there's not a person who is alive in this world that doesn't have some kind of access to the gospel. This is it. Going, baptizing, and teaching. The going part. I heard this story years ago about this family down off the coast of Florida. These two younger boys, um, I think they were teens, um, took, took their father's boat out and they began to go play in the water. Um, uh, they didn't go far out into the, the, the ocean, um, but they began to play and, and they, they, they were having a good time. But all of a sudden, I, I've never really sailed the boat or anything like that. But, but apparently, things can happen pretty rapidly out on the waters. Uh, and um, some storm began to blow in and it got really bad really quickly. And pretty soon, the boat began to toss and, and turn. And, uh, and uh, things began to, to be really serious. And the brothers realized that they had to get to back to land or they were going to be in, in grave, grave danger. And so they began to try to get the boat to turn around and try to get it to, to sail back to the land. And uh, the, the, the waves, eventually, they just became too much. Uh, this boat ended up capsizing. It flips over, and, and um, the, the brothers uh, uh, try to swim out. They get untangled from the sails and the lines and all of that. And uh, the, the, the older brother uh, manages to get out, and, and he found uh, a, a, a floating device. Uh, it floated to the top, and he grabbed on to that and began to hang out. His younger brother, several, two or three, four years younger than him, his younger brother came out on completely the other side of the boat. There was nothing around him, nothing he could grab onto, nothing he could uh, uh, get back to. But the, the older brother was over here, and he saw his younger brother finally pop up after, after a significant time being under the water, and he began to, to holler to his younger brother. And he said, hey, little brother, over here I've got a floating device. Come this way, little brother. Swim, swim this way. And his little brother began to paddle and swim with all his might. Of course, at this point, you can imagine waves that are strong enough to capsize a boat are very difficult and dangerous to be swimming in. The waters would come and they would flop over this uh, younger brother and, and he would go down for a few seconds and pretty soon he would come back up. And all the while, this older brother was over here saying, Swim harder, little brother! Swim harder! You're almost here! And the young boy began to swim and he began to swim with everything he had. He, he, he paddled and he, he would be plunged under and he'd come back up and he'd swim harder and he'd swim harder and he'd swim harder and all the while this older brother was over here saying, swim harder little brother, swim harder little brother, you're almost here. And with his arms outstretched on his floating device, he saw one final wave come and sweep over his brother as he was about 10 feet or so away. And this time when he went down, his younger brother never came back up. Meanwhile, back on the land, people kind of saw what was happening. They called the emergency crews, and, 
And it was about that time that the emergency crews were arriving. And they said when they got there that this older brother still had his arms reaching out into the water saying, Swim harder, little brother. Swim harder. You're almost here. But his little brother was gone at that point. And they weren't able to recover his body. And as I heard that story told several years ago, I thought, you know, that is exactly what we as the church often do. You know, we are sitting here in our comfortable churches knowing the gospel, having the answer that people need that lost people need, and those lost people are like the little brother in the story. Sometimes they're swimming. They're trying to stay afloat. They're doing everything that they can to do in this harsh world with all the sin and all the troubles and all the heartaches that exist in this world, and they're doing everything they can looking for some kind of an answer. And we in the church often sit in our pews and our seats and our churches and we say, come this way, lost people. Come and hear the message. Come this way, lost people. Jesus is the answer. Come, swim harder, lost people. We've got the answers here inside this building. And yet that is not at all what Jesus has given us the, the way to, to reach this world. Jesus did not say, stand in your churches and sing our songs and, and call to the people, come in here. He said, no, as you are going, as you are going about your daily life, as you're going to the grocery store, as you're going into your work, as you're going into school, as you're going on short-term or long-term mission trips, as you are out there living your life, that is where we come into contact with the lost and we begin to share the message of the gospel and tell them how Jesus has come into this world. He lived a perfect life. He died on behalf of our sins. He was raised from the dead. He now stands in heaven waiting, reaching out, saying, if you will just trust me, I will wipe away your sins. I will cleanse all of the evil in your life and you will be one of mine. You will live forever with me. That is how we do going and how we have been commanded by Jesus to reach this world for him. We can't do it sitting inside our churches and we must spend our time not the way this older brother did by saying, come, come here, but in us leaving our walls, going into the homes of our neighbors and, and other people who need to hear the gospel and sharing with them how they can know and trust in Christ. And then, of course, baptizing. We Baptists are pretty good on this task. We've got this one down at least. We know that, that you know, you go and you, you first, you make disciples, you tell them of the story of Jesus, and then when a person is saved, we, we, we baptize them so that they can identify and so, so that they can say, I am one of yours, Jesus. We say to the world with our baptisms that we are yours, you are mine, and we are going to live our lives for you. And teaching Sometimes we do well on this and sometimes we don't do well on this. Notice what it says here in verse 20. It says, teaching them not all the facts and stuff that they need to know from the Bible, although that is certainly a good thing to do. It says, rather, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. Teach them to do what I've told you to do. That includes 
becoming a new generation of Great Commission Christians, someone who is making disciples, someone who is going and helping to baptize and helping to teach others. Teach them to do the things that I have left with you to do. Teach them to love their neighbor. Teach them to love the world. Teach them to be the salt and the light. Teach them to... to to change their life, to be totally transformed. That verse in Romans, don't be conformed to this world, but rather be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Be transformed. Teach them to be transformed. There's one more story that I think certainly hits the nail on the head. I often tell it around a different part of the year, but I I think it illustrates this um, very nicely. There there was this man, I think his name was John, um, uh, but this this man had a friend who just could not, he could no longer take care of a parrot. And uh, if you know anything about parrots, parrots live a long time. Um, Oftentimes they will outlive their owner. I think they live 80, 90 years, something like that. And so if you get a parrot, it's a lifelong commitment. It is not something that you do lightly. Maybe someone has a parrot here in the room. But this particular parrot, the guy gave him up. He said, I can't do it anymore. He gave it to his friend John. He said, okay, I'll take the parrot. Um, and, and, and the guy didn't really tell John everything about the parrot and why he wanted to give it up. Well, it turns out this parrot had an absolutely filthy mouth. Um, he had obviously at some point been around someone and picked up some very bad and vulgar vocabulary. And as people came to visit John, he would just start shouting out and uh, saying some bad things. And, and John was like, what is going on with this bird? And it kept on and kept on happening. Pretty soon, it was, he was almost afraid to invite people to his house. He had work colleagues over. He had friends come over. And every time, this parrot just starts spewing out vulgar, profane words, and, and finally John had had enough. So one day he came home, he come home, he, I, I'll get English right here in a second, he came home, and this parrot greeted him with a round of profanity again. And finally John was so fed up, he just needed a break from the parrot, he grabbed the parrot, and he just, for a brief time, no animal cruelty intended, but he just stuck him in the freezer so he could cool down. And the parrot began to flap and squawk, and, and he was pretty upset. You can imagine getting stuck in a freezer, what, what that would be like. He was not at all happy. He scraped and scrapped and, and squawked and, and cursed, and, uh, and, and he went crazy for about 60 seconds. And then all of a sudden, there was complete silence from the freezer. And John got to thinking, well, I didn't want to hurt the bird. You know, I, you know, I, that wasn't, I, just, I just needed him to to cool down and and settle down. And John opened the freezer and uh, out walked the parrot and the parrot said, John, I would like to express my most humble apologies for offending you. I have decided to change my ways and vow henceforth and evermore to never speak a vulgar word or profane word again. And John kind of looked at the parrot and said, what in the world is going on with this guy? You know, what, what, why the sudden change here? Uh, and the parrot said, you know, I just want to express my profound and sincerest apologies. And John said, okay, if... If this is how it's going to be, if you'll stop doing these things, then I think we can make this work. Pretty soon, the parrot turned to John and he said, Might I just ask, what did the turkey do? 
You see, the parrot certainly had a changed life experience. And that is ultimately what we are looking for, not in that kind of simple, fun way, but that is ultimately what it means to become a follower of Christ, that we have a changed life experience, that we repent of our sins, that we turn away from those sins, and we begin to follow Christ with everything in us. That is the teaching that Jesus has called the church to do, to teach people to have those changed lives, to be changed by the gospel. Going and baptizing and teaching. The last thing that I always like to remind people it's not really in uh, expressly in this passage. There are many other verses that tell us this. So we saw the master who has all authority, the mandate to make disciples, the method of going and baptizing and teaching. The last thing that I like to remind people of is the message that we are to proclaim. What is that message that we are to proclaim? And ultimately, uh, most of you have it sitting in your laps or pretty close there. This is the message that we proclaim. We don't have the latitude or authority to change what this says. We don't conform this to the values and, and, and attitudes of our current culture. What we do is we open the Bible and we teach the world what the Bible says. No, no, we don't have to apologize for it. We don't have to say, oh, you know, I know that I'm really sorry, but this is how, this is God's word this is what he has given us and this is what we proclaim to the world we don't have to change it we don't have to try to make it sound better this is absolutely perfect and inspired and infallible message contained in this book and so now we come to our closing and every single one of us has a choice to make now i don't expect every single person to walk down the aisle and pray a prayer or anything like that but I do expect that any time a follower of Jesus hears his word, that you consider, what does this mean for my life? What do I need to do in my life to conform myself with your word, Jesus? I expect every person who is a follower of Christ to ask themselves that question today. Jesus, would you tell me, what do I need to do? For some people in this room, it might be that you need to, to begin to follow Christ. Maybe you've heard the, the gospel and some of these uh, illustrations that I've used and how Jesus has lived a perfect life and he died on the cross and he rose from the dead and you know that you're a sinner, you know that you need forgiveness for your sins and you need to come and follow Jesus for the first time. Some of you out here, you've been Christians for 10, 20, 30, 40 years and, and maybe though you have never really given it your effort to teach and train the next generation of what it means to follow Christ and so maybe you say, this is the day that I begin to truly make disciples with my life. I'm going to invest my time and resources uh, to, to making disciples of the next generation. Maybe some of you will say, you know what? I wasn't expecting it this morning, but, but I need to explore what it looks like for, to, to, to give all of my life in service to Christian ministry somehow, whether that's called to the ministry or, or being a missionary or whatever that might be. Whatever it is that God is speaking to you today, I pray that you will do it. And I'm going to tell one final closing story that illustrates this. There uh, was this very wise man who lived um, in a remote region in some mountains. Uh, he lived off far enough away that it was difficult to get there, um, but it wasn't impossible. 
And people would often go to this very wise old man and they would bring questions to him. And he would almost always have the right answer. He would always be able to help them solve their problems, whether it was relationships or advice or uh, you know whatever, whatever the situation is, he always had a wise word to say. So this one young boy knew the story of this man. He had never seen him, but he didn't like that this guy always had the right answer. So he began to devise some way that he could trick this guy into not knowing the right answer. And he, he, he came up with a plan and he said, okay, I've got it. I'm going to capture a little baby bird from a nest. I can't get away too much. I'm going to capture that bird and I'm going to take it to the old man and I'm going to hold the bird behind my back and I'm going to say, okay, wise old man, is this bird in my hand alive or is it dead? Hoping to stump the man. If the man said, well, the bird's alive, he would wring its neck and he'd bring the bird out saying, well, no, you're wrong. The bird is dead. And if he says the bird is dead, then he can bring the bird out and say, nope, see, it's chirping, it's alive and well, nothing wrong with the bird. So he thought he had the old man fooled. So he got it up his bird, he did the hike through the mountains, he got to this old man's hut, and he came in and the old man says, come in, come in. And he says, how can I help you today? And this boy, all filled with his wisdom of youth, um, stood up and said, all right, old man, you tell me, is this bird in my hand alive or is it dead? And the old man immediately knew where this was going. He had, this was not the first time some young kid had tried to, to trick him and, and, and get him into to not being able to give some kind of wise answer that the, the person could understand. And this old man thought to himself, okay, well, obviously if I say the bird is alive, he'll kill the bird and show me. If I say the bird is dead, then he'll bring out the bird and show me that it is alive. So what can I do? The old man thought about it for just a moment or two. And finally, he looked up at the boy and he said, Young man, the bird is as you will it. The bird is as you will it. If you want the bird to be alive, you can make that happen. If you want the bird to be dead, you certainly can make that happen as well. And I would just encourage us to think the same thing about our walk with Christ, the life of this church, what it means for you to go out and impact the kingdom with the gospel today. Your life, your church, your community, Vandalia, is as you will it. That's not some kind of fancy spiritual new age stuff. It's not a you can be anything you want to be um, false gospel. What I mean by that is if you will do the things that Jesus has told you to do. If we will invest our time and our money and our other resources in making disciples of people who don't yet know Christ, of the people in your church who maybe are new Christians and the people in your church who just need to grow up a little bit in the faith. If you will invest your time in making disciples and in going and baptizing and teaching and sharing the message of the gospel with this, with this world in searching for and, and, and striving for changed lives, people going from death to life, people going from sin and hell and rebellion to lives of glory and following Jesus and loving him. Your life and your church and your community is as you will it. Because you will either decide to begin to live your life wholly and completely for the gospel, or you'll decide, nope, I'm just not really that into it. 
And I tell you that second choice would be an absolute travesty for you and for your church and for your community. I hope and I pray that you will live your lives loving the Lord, dedicated to the master, the mandate of making disciples, the method of going baptizing and and teaching, and the message of the gospel that he has given us in his word. The Lord will bless your efforts. Now, that doesn't mean you'll be a church of 10,000. There's not that many people who live around here. But it does mean that if you are faithful, that he will bless you and he will bless your efforts and you will see people coming to know him and walking closer with him every day. I'm going to pray and we're going to have some people come up and sing a closing song. And during that time, there will be an invitation. I'll invite you. If you want to come and talk to me, you're welcome to do that. Maybe you want to come and talk to one of your other deacons or elders or, or, or church staff or something. Um, that is perfectly fine. Maybe you just need to go across the room and pray with someone and say, I need you to help me do these things. I need you to help me be a disciple maker in my life. Whatever the Lord you feel like the Lord is telling you to do, I would invite you to do it during this invitation, even if it means it's an invitation like no other. Who knows? Um, but just do what the Lord is calling you to do today. Maybe you just stand there and you sit and you pray and say, God, I'm going to follow you. You show me what the next step is. Father, we thank you for this day. I thank you for your love. I thank you for giving us your gospel. I thank you for all the good things that you do for us each and every day. And Father, this morning I pray that you would speak to the people who are here. I pray that you would call um, each person to a new life and a new level of following you and faithfulness. Father, I pray that that for someone in the room today, this day might be a turning point. They might become that African warrior who takes the gospel no matter what the opposition may bring. I pray, Father, that none of us will be like that old lady driving the car who don't even realize what we're doing or where we're going. God, I pray that we would see lives changed and your kingdom grown, that you would receive glory and honor for the things we do each and every day. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.